0: publicly on social and recognizing like working in the outdoor industry I was like I'm nervous about this (laughs) um and I decided that I really wanted to um own own it and define it for myself and that was sort of where the inspiration from the video came from was like I wanted to show like this is who I am and, like, just own my identity
1: 100%. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Alex Jowerman had a secret. Growing up in Thetford Center, Vermont, Alex competed on high school boys' teams in cross-country running and hockey. But Alex was actually running from who she was. Like more than half of transgender or non-binary youth... She considered suicide rather than reveal her secret. Showerman went on to graduate from St. Lawrence University and work in progressive politics. In her free time, she threw herself into mountain biking and backcountry snowboarding. She numbed the pain of hiding from her true identity by drinking. Then in 2019, she broke her neck in a mountain biking accident. She was forced to stop running from who she was. Last fall, at the age of 32, Showerman came out as a transgender woman. She feared she would lose her job doing public relations for outdoor brands and be ostracized by the outdoor sports community. Showerman has good reason to be concerned. As part of a Republican-led backlash against transgender rights, 125 anti-trans bills have been introduced in more than half the states. To Showerman's amazement, she has been hailed as a role model and symbol for inclusion. She has been profiled in Bicycling Magazine and is the subject of a recent Outside Magazine podcast. Today, we spend the hour with Alex Showerman as she shares her transgender journey. I began by asking her to describe what it was like for her growing up in Vermont.
0: You know, growing up in Vermont was simultaneously like wonderful and awesome and provided sort of the safety and room to explore that I needed, but then also challenging. Um, So I'm a trans woman um, and, you know, it's something I've always known about myself Um, from my earliest memory. I would, uh, you know, fall asleep, like wishing I would wake up as a girl. Um, So, You know that kind of came in you know being a kid i was born in 88 so a kid of the 90s um and then also a rural state i had no one to look to so i had no representation i had no idea that i could exist so that was hard um you know on the flip side I also was definitely a free-range kid and, like, had all of the awesome space of Vermont, the hills and rivers and forests uh, to explore and grow um, and really have that space to at least find my own sense of adventure and identity in that space. Um, So it was both, like, a glorious childhood and and an isolating one at the same time. And this
1: was in Thetford that Mm -hmm. you grew up and you were an athlete a lot of what you did was throwing yourself into sports talk a little bit about what your sports passions were
0: yeah so you know i think i i'm an athlete and also very much a creative person and i really have always been drawn to sports where i could express myself creatively through action um You know, growing up as a kid, first it was sort of general outdoor, Nordic skiing, alpine skiing. Um, I became really uh, captivated with the fluidity of hockey um, and played that, you know, starting in elementary school. I taught myself to skate on the river behind my house. And then, you know, was peak sort of action sports. And really I discovered uh, BMX and snowboarding and then snowboarding captured my just total love Um, And I just, to me, it was, like, the epitome of self-expression in sports form. Um, So I, like, bought my, like, first snowboard in, like, early high school. It was, like, 70 bucks. It was, like, a Dunkin' Donuts promo board. I don't even know what brand it was. And taught myself by hiking the pasture behind my house. And then also uh, at Northeast Slopes in Corinth, you know, those like I think it was like five dollars or ten dollars a ticket. And that was what I could afford. Um, And that was where I learned to snowboard. And I think that was that was when I really established, I think, who I am as an athlete and and what I love to accomplish as an athlete.
1: But sports kind of had an ambivalent side for you. You Mm -hmm. were a cross country runner. Mm -hmm. You played hockey um but you found you've written about how you found yourself gravitating towards the girls cross country team at your school and how your discomfort um with some of these team sports led you to quit hockey which you were good at and you loved mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about that
0: yeah so you know i think to first set the tone you know when we're talking about Trans people, and you know, in particular in my case, trans women, you have to look at it from the view of trans women are women, and trans women are women from day one. So imagine what it is like to be a woman or be a girl and be forced into male locker rooms (laughs) and male sports situations, and how unsafe and how terrifying that is psychologically and yeah I really got turned off to team sports because I felt so uncomfortable in the locker room spaces um and didn't feel safe um you know I was bullied a lot you know everything from being called homophobic slurs to getting pantsed, um, which was, you know, extra hard being a, you know, closeted kid. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I really, it it ultimately led to turning me off to team sports altogether. Um, I was really lucky in that, you know, going to a small high school, Thetford Academy, our, our running team, our cross-country team, you know, we trained together, um, both, you know, male and female teams um and oftentimes even a lot of the smaller races even raced at the same time um so it was cool even though i wasn't able to like articulate who i was i was able to kind of find that space um and uh you know i think my fastest pr to date was actually my freshman year when the uh, captain of the girls team and i became really close And, uh, you know, she kind of took me under her wing and we ran together a lot, trained together a lot. Um, and you know, one of those races where everybody ran together, I actually, you know, we ran, ran the race together and she paced me to what became my, my high school PR my freshman year and actually never actually got slower, never, never was able to beat that time. (laughs) Um,
1: and PR is personal record for those who aren't familiar with the racing lingo.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, I I oftentimes, you know, I look back and like knowing how much that support and space meant to me not being authentic to who I was, I think about how, you know, if I were were going through that today where I think there is more trans visibility and there is the language around it, like I would have definitely come out back then (laughs) at that point. And being able to actually be, like, one of the girls on that team would have been such an incredible experience. And I think, like, rather than looking back on that time and feeling really, like, uncomfortable about it, it was really hard. Um, You know, I think I would have actually probably enjoyed high school Mm -hmm. if I had been out. And I think I would have really thrived having been able to be a part of that community authentically and not just sort of, like, we like you we support you but you're not really quite one of us right you know
1: so how old are you now
0: i'm 32
1: so we're talking about 16 years ago early 2000s -hmm. is the era that um you're thinking talking about you began this by saying uh introducing yourself as a trans woman saying and i always knew that but what did you know as a kid
0: yeah so it's a great question i mean one of the things that's awesome about like kind of the the young kid age is that you're genderless right but really until you hit puberty kids are more or less genderless and you know especially before you hit school age kind of gender isn't forced on you yet so i remember like being that like kind of three four five year old age and playing with my girlfriends. And I always fell into the natural, just like whenever we were playing make-believe, like one of the girls, or like we'd play dress up and like that was the clothes that I felt most comfortable in. So I think like without sort of the world saying, no, Alex, actually, this is who you are. I think I would have just probably naturally gone that direction and just would have naturally lived my life as a girl. But then the world kind of came in and was like, no, actually, sorry, that's not who you are. You're this over here. And, you know, that was really when I started to become ashamed of who I was. Um, And that created a lot of trauma. you know, I remember there was, like, a point with my mom, and, and I know that her reaction was one of concern and not one of, like, anger, but, uh, you know, I was wearing an article of girls' clothing, I think I was, like, maybe seven, and, um, you know, I kind of sort of knew it was wrong and shouldn't be doing it, because I had it underneath boy clothes, and I sat down next to her on the couch, and, like, my shirt rode up, and she saw it and freaked out out about it and you know a lot of the freak out was like what's the world going to do to you it wasn't like a i'm mad at you but it was like what's the world gonna do to you and that was really i think that point where that shame and trauma around and realizing oh this is a bad thing that i need to hide you know and that was at seven it took me to 30 two to come out. So that's over like a decade and a half or two decades and a half of dealing with like shame and trauma around who I am and my core identity. Which is hard.
1: So take us forward from um you know when you are an adult and and um well I don't want to skip, feel free to back this up uh and and go through college. Uh but what does that mean when you can't be your authentic self what is that experience like how does it express itself
0: yeah so i you know this the easiest way to explain it was i remember right before i came out i just felt tired (laughs) and it literally felt you know in, in high school i was in musicals And, you know, you put on your costume, you put on your makeup, right? And you go out there and perform. And I remember that exhaustion was feeling like every single time I left the house, I was having to put on the costume and put on the character and play the role that was handed to me, not just exist as myself. So I think it manifested itself in, yeah, like, just exhaustion – um depression particularly dealing with that shame um and you know I kind of just tried to outrun it and that became unhealthy then I tried to numb it <laughs> that became unhealthy <laughs> with alcohol um and it it really got to a point where it was it it was going to break me and actually did break me. <laughs> um, so I actually broke my neck in 2019.
1: Um, well, tell us uh, about that. Although we're we're skipping over parts of your yeah. your outer world, which yeah. is you sort of. Um, so I, I'm I'm definitely not ignoring that you broke yeah. your neck because we're oh, going to yeah. get there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you threw yourself into politics. Mm-hmm. That sort of became your your thing. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, Talk a little bit about that, what it was you were doing professionally.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I studied government in college, um, and actually, kind of interestingly, I realized, I think, sort of the the genesis of my interest in politics was, um, you know, 2000 was the big debate around civil unions here in the state. Um and uh I definitely remember like really following that closely and I think that was sort of the first thing that sort of piqued my interest in politics.
1: So that's an interesting milestone. So if I'm doing the math correctly, you're eleven years old mm-hmm. in two thousand. Um you're hearing uh first of all, you're I, I covered that as a journalist, so you know LGBT, lgbtq leaders from around the country are coming here as well as anti gay leaders are coming here and you're hearing passionate oratory about people living their authentic lives and being able to marry as everyone else is how did that sound to you as an 11 year old who had a secret
0: yeah you know it was it was interesting cuz i didn't really have the language for myself to sort of understand how this impacted me you know um as you know i identify as, as i said as a trans woman but also a lesbian so you know that decision directly now impacts my ability to to get married someday um so I didn't quite know that, but I just inherently knew like it was something that I needed to care. It felt right, like it felt to me like this seems inherently right to me. Um, you know, and it was it was interesting. I think it was both good and a challenge. I think at the time I saw a lot of discussion around, um, you know, I think most representation of LGBTQ people was around gay men um which i am sort of the exact you know opposite um you know a woman who's attracted to women um so it was both like this feels right but then also i still didn't quite see myself in it yet and then also i did see the pushback i remember seeing the take back vermont signs all over the place you know um uh so yeah i think it heavily influenced me in like just wanting to be on the right side of you know these issues and be on the right side of history and, and help to make a more you know equitable and just world and i think that's what ultimately drove me to get into politics
1: so um talk a little bit about the politics and of course this is the point where i should uh uh say what our, uh, when I first met you, which was when you were working on my wife, Sue Minter's campaign. Uh, but that was just one of many political uh, jobs that you had. So what drew you to politics?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, so I followed politics really closely throughout, um, you know, a few years later, as we know, uh, Howard Dean ran for uh, president. Um two thousand four. Yeah. And uh that was really cool as somebody who is sort of starting to be aware of this stuff and interested to have, you know, somebody from our state make like a legitimate run at president. Um and uh you know, I think that really like piqued my interest. And then obviously, you know, um in my first couple years of college was when Obama made his run.
1: So what were the political groups um, that you were working for and and why did you choose the, the political, the the political groups that you did?
0: Yeah. So I, you know, somebody once said wise advice was if you can find a job going at least, even if it's diagonally in the direction you want to go, but it's going in that direction, take it. So I, uh, my first job out of college was a congressional campaign out in Chicago. Uh, Working for a progressive member of Congress, Jan Schakowsky. And then, uh, you know, learned organizing 101. So driving, getting volunteer organization to turn out the vote was awesome. Loved it. Then jumped to Capitol Hill and worked in her DC office um, for about, I want to say, like a year and a half. Um, And then. Uh, You know, while I was in D.C., I just actually really wanted to get back to Vermont. Um, I was missing the outdoors, missing the mountains. Um, You know, I actually kind of got unhealthy and depressed while I was down there just because I didn't have that. So I actually got to kind of coming full circle work for Democracy for America, which is the organization that grew out of the 2004 Dean campaign. Um, So it was sort of this awesome moment to get to return here. Um, So I did that for about three, two and a half, three years, um, you know, and was on the digital comms and campaigns team, you know, got to work on everything from income inequality to racial justice to, um, you know, gender equity to LGBTQ issues to, you know, student loans was was like really great crash course in advocacy. Um, and then I really wanted to move towards blending my love of the outdoors in with my um, passion for creating change. So um, I actually got hired with Protect Our Winters um, in 2015. Um, and
1: Explain uh, what Protect Our Winters does, who they are.
0: Yeah, so Protect Our Winters is a global nonprofit uh, that was founded to organize the ski industry to combat climate change. Um, and, you know, for much of its time prior to when I was there, it was really just like, kind of like, Hey, ski industry, wake up. Like if we don't address this, like we're not going to have an industry anymore. And... And, and just
1: to put an exclamation point on that, there are studies now showing that I think up to half of the Northeastern ski industries will not be viable by 2020, but by 2040 because of climate change. So yeah ski industry does need to be part of the solution
0: which is insane too if you consider that when you look at the top five ski industry states i believe three of them are actually in the northeast um you know i don't remember the exact order but i think it's vermont pennsylvania new york are in the top five ski state economies (laughs) So, if that stat's true, like think about what impact that can have on our communities. but anyways, um so yeah it was it was an interesting time to jump in there because they were really transitioning from an awareness organization to one of action. um so one of I think still one of my proudest professional uh, achievements was I got to work closely with the NRDC um, on organizing a Capitol Hill lobby day um, where we brought in. Um, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, brands, you know, wonderful leaders from Burton. We also partnered with Ben and Jerry's and had some folks there. Um, and it was just a really cool experience. Um,
1: so while you're doing politics, you're also pursuing at a pretty high level your outdoor sports. And you're going through this inner journey and turmoil. So braid these three things together the politics, the sports, and your own personal journey. What was going on for you as you're now an adult? You're in your 20s and you're figuring out your
0: way. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting because you know I mentioned I started the job with, with Pow in 2015, and that was actually like a really like that 2014-15 was like a big period in my life where um, I believe 2014 was when I bought my first flipboard and really started to commit to backcountry. Um, 2014, 15 was when I started going to therapy for, um, for, for, you know, my understanding and accepting my identity. Um, you know, it was when I jumped sort of from directly working in politics into more the outdoor and kind of started to get closer to the career that I wanted to have. You know, a little personal thing. It was also getting out of politics. I finally let my hair grow out, which was sort of the first thing I did to like own my space, own my identity again. Um, So it was this cool point where I started to, I think, let go of sort of the expectations of like who I was and what I was supposed to be doing and start to really work towards the direction that I wanted to go. The flip side was the more that I got involved in the outdoor sports space and the more I built that community, both here locally in Vermont, getting involved with organizations like VEMBA and the Waterbury Area Trails Alliance and, and all of that. And the more I found friends and community, the more I felt terrified of coming out because I saw no positive representation of trans folks in general media, let alone in outdoor media. Um, You know, and even looking for examples of like outdoor women, like 2015, 16, you know, that period, like women were just starting to get taken seriously as athletes and get, positive representation as athletes in sort of the outdoor space in a meaningful way.
1: You're in your 20s doing progressive politics. You're pursuing, you know, outdoor sports, mountain biking, backcountry snowboarding or splitboarding, um, all of which one might think from the outside are places that are very accepting of uh, LGBTQ issues and people. But it wasn't that way for you exactly. So talk about what you found. You know, Did you feel safe? Did you feel able to be your authentic self in those spaces?
0: Yeah, I, that's, that's an awesome question. So I think one of the things I've realized the most in sort of this coming out process is that there's a difference between thinking you're inclusive and being an inclusive and i think the outdoor spaces and outdoor communities largely i think sort of are just like well yeah we're accepting so therefore we're inclusive but the reality is is that very little work has been done to actually proactively invite underrepresented communities into the space And, you know, I even think when I say underrepresented communities, I think it even starts with just women generally. You know, in mountain biking, a crazy statistic is still just 16% of mountain bikers identify as women. So, you know, what that's telling me is that the industry has not proactively reached out and invested in building that culture and that community. So if there's not that investment in even women. How am I, as a trans woman, going to see myself in that space? So the like sort of idea of, oh, outdoor space is inclusive, doesn't actually get communicated or shown to the very people who need to see it, which then makes it feel like not a safe space because you don't see that proactive engagement in welcoming your community into the sports.
1: And let's expand the lens a little wider, Vermont itself, from the outside, people think of this as a welcoming, accepting, liberal place. Did you feel that way as a trans woman?
0: I would say no um you know, I think there's been some strides recently where i've you know I know some other fellow trans folks um who are out and doing incredible things to build that community here. Um, But it's really been in just the last couple of years. And, you know, I felt very alone until I, you know, until we started to see more people out. Um, You know, and I remember coming out in Waterbury and like, it was really strange because it was a community that I'd come to feel so at home in. And then all of a sudden I felt like a total stranger and walking into the spaces that, you know, like I always really loved to hang out in. All of a sudden I felt like the only person like myself in it, in there. And it made even the simplest things of like going to grab a beer (laughs) really intimidating and scary. And You know, I think once again, this sort of gets down to that thing of like, there's a difference between thinking you're accepting and being accepting and being inclusive. And, you know, I want to give a a really cool shout out to uh, Stowe Street Cafe because they do such an awesome job of doing that proactive outreach where I see them not just on Pride, (laughs) Pride Month, but I see them proactively being like we are a welcoming space to LGBTQ folks. And it's a space that, like, I know I can always count on to be safe. And I think those kind of like public, sort of like, you are welcome here, come join us, be a part of our community, makes up for the fact that maybe there aren't a lot of the, like, there isn't that large of a community here in Vermont, but it at least shows, like, hey, come here, you're welcome, we enjoy having you here.
1: It, it occurs to me, Alex, that what you're saying is also something we hear a lot from BIPOC communities, where it's one thing to say, you're not a racist, meaning I don't do racist things, I don't use terrible language and and whatever else. But it's an entirely other thing to be inviting.
0: Uh,
1: and do you see a parallel?
0: Yeah, I mean... I, obviously I I'm a white person so I I cannot speak to to the lived experience um of uh the BIPOC community. Um but from my friends that I've spoken to, I, you know, I think that that is 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 it, it, there is definitely I think a parallel there. Very different issues that our communities face, but yeah, it's it's this sense of like you can't just rest on your laurels of saying exactly like, oh, I'm not homophobic. You know, oh, I'm not transphobic. Oh, I'm not racist. You have to be proactive in breaking down those barriers and welcoming underrepresented communities in. Because my, like I said, my, my experience and my lived experience as a, you know a, a gay trans woman is that where I don't see that proactive outreach I don't know if it's a safe space for me or not. And I think I can certainly imagine for other communities, other identities who are, you know, very much not represented here in Vermont without that outreach, I can imagine it's not a very comfortable space to exist in.
1: You mentioned earlier, you broke your neck. I know that this is an important moment in your life and in uh, kind of a, an inflection point in your life so well first tell us how you broke your neck and then what did that do to you?
0: Yeah, so I uh, was riding at Perry Hill um... and
1: and there is a non waterbury audience here so just to explain Perry Hill is a yes. mountain biking mecca located in Waterbury, Vermont that uh, Alex you've had a big role in in sort of developing.
0: Yeah, it's uh you know, Perry Hill is I I would I've now had the chance to go ride all over the country and uh I, I still maintain Perry Hill's like my favorite place to ride bikes. Um it's it is such a cool, special little place and the fact that it's like right on the end of our main street and you can just like cruise right into town and like have a beer and hang out with friends. It's just it's there's just something magical about it. Um so yeah, anyways, it was like a you know, it was a hot steamy July day Um, and uh, you know I woke up and just was like I gotta ride my bike and you know in retrospect what I realized was that even though I technically loved these sports I was doing them to try and outrun and cope with the fact that I couldn't authentically express who I was so I wasn't riding for the right reasons. And I was just kind of forcing the issue. And that was one of those mornings where I got up out of bed and just like had that compulsion to go ride my bike because I needed it literally to survive and keep my mental health. And I probably shouldn't have been riding my bike. You know, I was on Joe's, which is a, you know, it's, it's one of the like, it's the hardest trail at the network. And it's one of like the marquee in the state. And, you know, I can ride that trail comfortably and like that morning I just wasn't feeling it like I was even walking my bike around some of it not even riding that like alternate lines like walking my bike around it and I got to the end of it to the top of a flow trail s'mores that I've ridden you know it's a beginner friendly trail that I've ridden a hundred times and uh my hand slipped off my handlebars and I literally rode headlong into a tree still on the bike um so it compressed hip right at the top of my skull compressed my spine and I had five five varying levels of fractures in different vertebrae. I was hospitalized for five days. um, Wound up having surgery to fuse my C7 and T1 uh, vertebrae. um, And then had to sit (laughs) for two months. (laughs) I was immobilized and had to sit. um, Which really made me sit with myself and stop this, like, compulsion to run. Um, And also, because I was on meds and everything, I had to stop drinking, so I couldn't numb, use that as a crux. So I was really sitting there just, like, having to work through myself. And then, also through that process, it was a pretty, you know, it was like a part-time job recovery. Um, you know, PT multiple times a week, pain management, like activity and physical therapy activities every day, um, yoga, you know, <laughs> ebbs and salt baths. Like it was just like, it was constant work to recover and get back to where I was. And I learned a lot about myself, about resiliency, about self-care and about how to dig out of a deep, dark place, um, which became really important because what I didn't know was I was about to go into what would be my darkest place. <laughs> um, so in sort of sitting with all of that I really came to accept that it was time for me to to transition and to come out. So this is March of 2020 was about when I wrapped my um, recovery from the broken neck. You know, I was starting to be active at my normal levels again, starting to be pain-free. And also at this time was when I started to work on sort of my emotional recovery, which meant addressing being trans. And I went and got on hormones, which is really sort of the first, you know, sort of the first major step of medical transition. And then, as we all know, March of 2020 (laughs) was when the pandemic hit. And things shut down and I got laid off from my job. And so at this time I was facing the uncertainty of like, I knew I was gonna be coming out. I no longer had a job. I was uncertain about my standing in the community. I was uncertain of my ability to get a job as a trans woman. I was uncertain of my, just my future. And uh, I was really scared. And I actually started drinking really heavily in March and April of 2020. Um, Like to the point of getting like brown out drunk almost every single night. (laughs) And I definitely started to feel like question how, um, question like why I was here. So yeah, suicidal thoughts. Um, And I think breaking my neck gave me the tools to fight out of that and to start to write this course. And also being on hormones helped my brain get to like (laughs) the right (laughs) chemistry to start to feel better about myself where I was able to fight from that dark place
1: when you came out uh, uh last year in tw- uh, 2020 you, there was um you did it with in in among other ways a video that i saw a friend made of you um uh, both mountain biking and snowboarding um i think was and um it it strikes me that um you know what an incredible contrast from being in the closet trying to be live your life as off the radar as possible to going the other way which is announce yourself in the most public way possible which in the modern era is on social media with a beautiful video what did that feel like to you how scary was it or relieving was it i I don't know how do you describe that
0: yes it was really interesting was um sort of behind the scenes so i i that video out in october and and came out publicly on social media in october but i had a really cool like transformative few months before that where july was really when things started moving in the motion of that way i um came out to a couple of my really close friends um uh rosie and wheezy and they actually took me on a uh a lady shred weekend over to north conway new hampshire and it was my first time being able to Experience the outdoor space authentically as myself because we were kind of out of the community, right? So it was like, oh, I could just be myself. And it was, I like honestly could not tell you how freeing it felt on the bike. Like I was just riding so much more fluid and effortless and having fun. And then the other thing too that was really wild was like, you know, I'd been friends with Weezy and Rosie for a long time. And... All of a sudden we felt like this so much closer, and it was that like woman to woman friendship and I kind of came back from that weekend and was like that I need like I can't go back in the closet, so I actually started to come out kind of quietly here in Waterbury to a few folks that I trusted. I got off social media um, and you know, kind of just started to test the waters and you know, coming out publicly on social and recognizing like, working in the outdoor industry, I was like, I'm nervous about this. (laughs) Um, And I decided that I really wanted to um, own, own it and define it for myself. And that was sort of where the inspiration from the video came from was like, I wanted to show like, this is who I am. And like, just, own my identity 100 percent and that was where the inspiration come and i want to give a huge shout out to uh grant and mark and kyle who all helped film and uh edit it and then also rosie and amy who wrote it and then also bolton valley who helped with some shuttle bumps for it um you know they made that possible and it really did make coming out super joyous and fun for me
1: you wrote a piece recently that began this way 40 percent That is the percentage of transgender people who have attempted suicide. I can honestly say that the women's sports community kept me from becoming part of that statistic. Explain what you mean behind that.
0: So yeah, so that 40% is a real number. Um, And that percentage is much higher. That's attempted. And the percentage of trans people who have thought about suicide is much higher Um, I don't remember the exact stat but I want to say it's in like the 70s to 80s percent and what we know is that the reason why that number is so high for the trans community is because of the way we are ostracized and othered and portrayed and we do not feel like there is a place for us in the world and we know that that number plummets when there is an accepting community for me i think one of the greatest joys and surprises in all of this was just the incredible warm embrace that i've received from um the women's sports community and specifically the women's mountain bike community um it has really come to feel like a family to me and i mean all over the country um and i think like the happy, thriving person that you see today is because of the support that I receive from that community. So when we talk about, um, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead to any questions, but when we talk about trans inclusion in sports, you know, it's, it's something that's so important to look at through that lens of, These sports teams for trans youth, like that's what we're talking about when you see these bills. We're talking about youth, kids.
1: All right. Well, let's let's you mentioned the bills and we should put that in context. Uh, As of today, uh, 125 anti-transgender bills have been proposed in over half of America's state houses. So resume, pick up what you're saying just to give it some real context.
0: Yeah, so most of those bills are targeted at at kids, right? Like we're talking like, you know, kids in like elementary school, middle school, high school. And these are incredibly vulnerable children. <laughs> you know, these are kids who have a, su- you know, that that are at high risk for suicide. And we know that if we could give them that supportive space, then that risk plummets. So when we talk about trans inclusion, we're talking about creating safe space where kids can be themselves and feel loved and supported for who they are. And we're talking about something that can literally be life-saving. And when we're talking about excluding these kids, we're talking about isolating them, othering them, and putting them right back into that really dark, vulnerable place where they are at risk for taking their lives. And, you know, also like I mentioned, if you approach this discussion from the place of trans women are women and trans women are women from the day they're born, we're also talking about if you exclude them, you know, exclude us from these spaces, then you're sending your daughters, you're sending your sisters, you're you know, you're sending your um you're sending us into these male locker rooms. <laughs> these male spaces that are not safe for us and that is i think what's really important to understand when we're talking about this
1: so you're coming out at this moment of both tremendous acceptance and tremendous backlash how does that leave you feeling um i wonder if you feel personally you know fearful by some of the rhetoric and laws that are going on at the same time as you're feeling very accepted in places where you were afraid to speak out before?
0: That's a great question. And, um, you know, kind of two things to illustrate kind of how I'm feeling. Um, So most recently I I drove back from Colorado. I was out there for the winter Um, and... You know, usually it's my fourth time doing a cross-country trip, and usually I like to try and, you know, hit cool trails and ride bikes along the way. And uh, I wanted to go, I was thinking about going to Tennessee to check out Windrock Bike Park at Knoxville, where um, there's just a really, there's a lot of really cool building and riding. And right before the trip, um, and honestly one of the cruelest bills I've seen Tennessee passed a law that businesses have to basically post a sign that says they serve transgender people and allow us to use the bathroom um, wait
1: they have to post a sign affirming that they do welcome transgender people is that what you're saying in a,
0: like, yes in a very derogatory way that's basically like Um, it's basically, like, the language is written so that, like, it's basically almost saying, like, we allow men to use the women's restroom. And the way it made me feel seeing that was, um, that if, say, I stopped to get gas and went to use the bathroom... There would be a target on my back. So I didn't go to Tennessee. Um, And, uh, you know, the other thing too, with just sort of waking up every day and seeing another bill introduced or another headline about this, is it's exhausting. Um, I feel like I have to justify my existence every day. And I have to explain why it's okay for me to exist every day. And there's days where I'm like, why can't I just ride my bike? <laughs> why can't I just go have fun with friends? And, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stop fighting anytime soon. And I'm going to, you know, keep on being visible and and keep on, like, showing other trans folks that there is space for you and you can thrive here and you know i I, that's something i feel really passionate about doing and making sure that nobody has to go through what i went through and and hopefully educating people to understand the negative impacts of these bills
1: finally alex um i wonder with the knowledge and wisdom that you have now uh there are a lot of other alex showermans out there from uh um who are kids what bit of advice do you want to give those 10-year-old uh kids who could be you that you wish you'd been given
0: ah oh, celebrate yourself <laughs> you're awesome um and uh own it and you know i think now there is the support network for you from mental health to medical care to finding the communities and resources that you need to thrive, and like if if this if how you're feeling is how you're feeling like that's a hundred percent authentic to you and like own it and celebrate it and find those resources because now is the best time to take ownership of it, and I wish that I had done this. 25 years ago because knowing how much happier and healthier i am and seeing the potential that i have as a person now being like fully myself i can only imagine what i would have been able to do had i started this process 25 years ago
1: i lied one more question Mm -hmm. because i'm seeing this a lot uh, among friends and acquaintances and in the larger world Parents Mm -hmm. who are hearing often their teenage uh, and younger teenage children express themselves that they want to change their pronoun, how they're referred to, that they no longer identify as the um, gender they were born with, and parents who are expressing confusion, Mm -hmm. what advice do you have for those parents?
0: So trust your kid um you know i've I've gotten to talk to a lot of trans folks over the last year, and also just in my own research, consumed a lot of stories and the one thing I hear over and over and over and over again is I knew this from day one. so our kids know this like we like like we all know who we are. trust it. And I told that story about where my mom, like, freaked out. And I think back, if her response had been, all right, cool, like, you want to go shopping for, like, some clothes that you actually want to wear? Like, had I been given that space at seven to just, like, express and explore my gender, it would have changed my life. And I think the success and happiness and joy that you can give your kid by letting them be themselves at that age is going to be so much more powerful for their growth and development than the like trauma and hardship that you're going to impart on them by denying who they are so love them give them a hug celebrate them let them be who they want to be
1: alex sherman i want to thank you for joining us on the vermont conversation
0: thank you so much for having me david it was wonderful to catch up